chapter 6, beginning at the 17th verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice on that day, and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. speak in the name of the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. It's a very great pleasure to be here with you, and one of the joys of the smallness of the Anglican Communion is that there are uh, old friends and new here, and people who I've come across and bumped into over the years, uh, so it's wonderful to see you all, and thank you very much for your welcome. One of the most interesting, challenging, and ever surprising aspects of my work is the ability and privilege of visiting other parts of the world, or, to put it more accurately, other parts of the church. Sometimes this has been two places of opulence and splendour. And it's wonderful to be told once in the Vatican uh, that the painting just above my head was actually in El Greco. But at other times, in fact, most of the time, it's very, very different. It is said that the average Anglican is a woman in her 20s or 30s living in sub-Saharan Africa and living on less than $30 per day. Think about that, the average Anglican. This tells us something important, both about the geographical spread of Christianity and of Anglicanism in particular but also about the relative numbers of those who are parts of the churches of the Anglican Communion. So many are in areas of the world which are poor, also areas where there is conflict, displacement of people, and other things that hamper economic development. Now, I've knocked about different parts of the world with different people. I've been on plenty of adventures with the Archbishop of Dublin, but um, your grace, um, I have to say that I've thrown you over for somebody else, because a few weeks ago, I went on a weekend mini-break uh, with the Bishop of Basingstoke in the Diocese of Winchester, uh, and we went to Kinshasa, 
the capital of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Not your usual uh, weekend visit destination. The Anglican church here is very small. It being a former Belgian colony, it was not somewhere where missionaries from the British Isles or America went. But in the east of the country, missionaries from Uganda crossed the border and founded Anglican churches in places like Boga and Goma, the latter synonymous now with the aftermath of the Rwandan genocide, with war, rebellion, and Ebola. The church in Congo is poor. Clergy generally don't receive stipends, but rely on gifts for what they habitually call their daily bread, their pan quotidien. But there is, in the life of the church, a vitality and vibrancy, a commitment to the faith, and to actually talking about the good news of Jesus. And this is a story that is repeated in other parts of the world too. Jesus was preaching to his followers on a plane. He'd come down from a mountain where he had been to pray, and where Luke tells us he chose the twelve from among his disciples. The Beatitudes, the list of those categories of person who are blessed, are familiar. Probably more familiar is the version in St Matthew's Gospel that we hear of Jesus preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. But as we turn to Luke, we see what has already become a figure of St Luke's telling of the Gospel story. The overturning of the way the world is. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Remember the Magnificat in Luke chapter 1. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. The challenge to those of us who are not poor, hungry, weeping, or hated remains, as we learn throughout the Gospel, to give from what we have to improve the lives of the poor, to feed the hungry and comfort those in distress. Luke's story of the church in the Acts of the Apostles is of a church where possessions are shared and the weak looked after. Poverty is not in itself the way to heaven, but neither, of course, are riches. The people in the Democratic Republic of Congo were not joyful in the Lord because they were poor, just as those who are joyful in the Lord because they are rich are missing the mark. So many of the stories of Jesus told to us by Luke refer to wealth and possessions as holding one back from the kingdom of heaven. But during the history of the church and the interpretation of the scriptures, interpretations have changed. In the Middle Ages, poverty was prized, as even was hunger, as a spiritual discipline. Fasting, for instance, is still seen as a way of getting close to God, and some find it helpful. Medieval pilgrims often took seriously the order of Jesus in Mark 6, when he sent out the twelve two by two. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals 
and not to put on two tunics. There are many images of the pilgrim with staff and begging bowl, reliant only on the alms people gave. For some of these, certainly this was a choice, a spiritual discipline. But for many, most possibly, poverty is not a choice at all. Poverty and hunger, weeping and hatred are not things to be sought out as shortcuts to heaven. Neither is fasting for a day real hunger. Rather, these are challenges to the world, faced with the cry of so much human Salvation, of course, is the gift of God through Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead. In the reading we heard from 1 Corinthians 15, we see laid out starkly the central importance of the resurrection. If there's no resurrection of the dead, writes Paul, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. Not such good news, eh? But reading on. But, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And in that resurrection, death, death that comes to all, great and small, rich or poor, weeping or laughing, hated or spoken well, death has had its sting removed. Death is redeemed, life is redeemed. Poverty and riches, weeping and laughter, all caught up in that house of God, where in the words of John Dyke, there should be no cloud nor sun, no darkness nor dazzling, but one equal light. No noise nor silence, but one equal music. No fears nor hopes, but one equal possession. No foes nor friends, but an equal communion and identity no ends nor beginnings, but one equal eternity. Those blessed and those who are promised woe, united in death, redeemed by Christ. For in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. When Jesus was on the cross, he was for us empty. He who was powerful became weak, he could be described in his own words as one who, on the cross, was poor, was hungry now, one who wept. He was one to whom his words could be addressed, when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you. Just as in these beatitudes, when these woes are turned to blessings, so in the resurrection, Poverty, hunger, weeping, and hatred of this world are defeated and transformed. And it's in this message that there is joy and there is hope. There is that joy that is neither increased nor decreased by material things or the lack of them. A joy that can transform us in our way of thinking. A joy that comes because of that knowledge and hope of the resurrection joy that we might seek, uh, that can inspire us to seek to transform our world, that it becomes, day by day, <coughs> and little by little, a bit more like the kingdom of heaven. Amen.
We believe in one God.